0: Be seated today. We are on the next minor prophet, Obadiah. Obadiah happens to be the the, the shortest message from all of the minor prophets that we are studying. Uh, The name Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh. It was actually a a, a pretty common Jewish name. Uh, Obadiah wrote his letter or wrote his message, or actually a vision as we're going to see in a few minutes, around 840 to 845 B.C. Now, now here's the thing with Obadiah. He served King Ahab. And if you remember from just a a few weeks back, several weeks back in our mountains Series, we talked a little bit about King Ahab. King Ahab is the guy that married a lady by the name of Jezebel. Newsflash, you run across somebody named Jezebel, run the other way. All right? Jezebel uh, was a pagan worshiper, especially Baal. And she did everything in her power to influence King Ahab to put up shrines to Baal all throughout the land and to take down anything that was dedicated to Yahweh. Anything temple-related, anything worship-related to God Jezebel influenced King Ahab to remove those from sight. And Obadiah works in this household. And since he had some insider information, right? Because he he worked for the king directly. He was able to hide and take care of a hundred prophets of the Lord. You might remember this part of the story from... The showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And there's that one little detail in there where Obadiah is hiding the prophets and he's feeding them and he's taking care of them. He's got 50 in one cave, 50 in another cave. All while King Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill all the prophets of God. So that's the same Obadiah who wrote what is the shortest message Uh, from the minor prophets because it deals with one primary topic Obadiah chapter 1 or the only chapter but Obadiah 1 verse 1 says this the vision of Obadiah this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom we have heard a message from the Lord an envoy was sent to the nations to say rise let us go against her for battle See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? That's the opening lines of Obadiah's message. And so to start with verse 1, Obadiah receives this message message and note that it says in a vision The word vision is also used a couple of other places Isaiah receives a vision remember we talked about Isaiah earlier this year who's going to go before me who's going to go for me and Isaiah says here I am Lord send me he had this vision of everything that was happening Micah also received it in a vision Nahum receives it in a in a vision we talked about Jonah we spent a, a month on Jonah Jonah received his word of the Lord the message from the Lord directly to him it was it was not this vision and so Obadiah is seeing this unfold he's seeing this, this special thing taking place from God to this people group of Edom now who is Edom, and why are they receiving a message from the lord Think through this i thought we were dealing with divided kingdoms israel judah but who is this message to it's in the bible therefore it must have some application to our lives and it's certainly significant to the lord so we got a map i'm going to show you where edom is you can't tell it i know i'm sorry this is the best we could do uh you see the black dot kind of uh, to the left of the body of water, between the two bodies of water, that's Jerusalem. Okay? If you come uh, south of the Dead Sea, which is this body of water, you see Moab. Due south is Edom. And there's this mountain range that's on both sides and this very fertile land that is in between. This is the location of Edom. So they're a real people group. Okay? Uh, they, they are their own country. But who are they? If you have your Bibles, now flip back to Genesis chapter 25, and we're about to see. You probably remember this, as you went through this with our life groups. Genesis 25, verse 22 says this, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two babies and two peoples from within you who will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. To the two all right so there's two nations in your womb one's going to be stronger than the other the older is going to serve the younger the Edomites who we're talking about here who this message is for this is Esau's bloodline all right that's that's who we are dealing with and because of what we've seen already their pride God sends a message we have heard a message from the lord verse 2 an envoy was sent to the nations to say rise let us go against her for battle see i will make you small among the nations you will be utterly despised the lord gave a message to foreign countries i want you to think about this from an american perspective as we move forward god gave a message to foreign countries outside of edom to unite and rise up together to humiliate these people to humble them church this points to a truth that we must embrace in our country today that god sovereignly employs other nations to accomplish his will on earth like I know that might not sit well with some people. And I certainly know with the pride of our country we don't want to even think something like this could happen. But God is willing to use the evil and the sinister, the pagan of other countries to humble His people. You see, here's the thing with Edom There's a lot of similarities between us in them they acquired great wealth talked about that some last week and they were confident in their riches it's the very thing Amos said last week wasn't it they were confident in their geographical position they had mountain ranges on either side of them they had these these natural barriers that made defending their land super easy they had the advantage If you came to attack them, all they had to do was put their people up high and they could defend. Verse 3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, though. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? That certainly doesn't sound like America, does it? That, 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 that's nothing that we can relate to. Who can bring us down? We bow out our chest and we say, nobody. Edom trusted in their natural protection provided by the clefts of the rocks. These people lived in caves high on the heights above the ground, and they felt totally safe from enemy attacks. Some of the Edomites settled in such high caves and other places up in the mountains that it was was as if they were, hyperbole speaking, soaring like eagles. Nesting among the stars. That's what they thought of themselves. They literally thought that they were better than everybody else because of their wealth and because of their ability to protect themselves. Now, verse 3 gives us this word pride, and here's the interesting thing about the usage of the word pride as it applies to this story and this bloodline of who we're talking about. The the Hebrew word here for pride is Z-I-D. It's got a little funky little thing over it, right? Z-I-D. That's the Hebrew word for pride. It means to be Presumptuous, overconfident. But it also means this to boil up. Now, think about who the Edomites are. They're the descendants of Esau. And what did Esau sell his birthright for? A bowl of red lentil stew. Now, here's the interesting thing. The word for cooking stew, found in Genesis 25-29, the root word of this is Z-I-D. The word is nazid. It's N-A-Z-I-D, and it means to boil. Esau, from the very beginning of who he was, was overconfident in being the firstborn It was ingrained in him. It was the thing that he struggled with, his confidence. And he thought, I do not need this birthright. As a matter of fact, Jacob, just take the thing. I'm going to be just fine. The Edomites' arrogance was presumptuous. They were overconfident. And it goes all the way back their ancestor who was willing to trade a birthright for nothing more than some red lentil stew. The arrogance of who can bring me down to the ground has haunted them their entire lives. So in response to Edom's self-confidence, to their arrogant question, who can bring me down to the ground? The Lord answers with, I can bring you down to the ground. I can swoop in like an eagle. Jeremiah 49, 22 tells us that God will swoop down upon Edomites, on the Edomites like an eagle, on those who thought they were safe. Though Edom was almost fortified against man, he was not inaccessible to God and he and this message is I am going to use these people to humble you. verse 15 says the day of the Lord is near for all nations as you have done it will be done to you your deeds will return upon your own head God's message to the Edomites is simply this. You reap what you sow. You have brought this upon yourself. And now it is time to reap what is going to happen. It's a life truth. It's true in every area of our lives. And I cannot help but think, is Obadiah's message written directly to our country today? And I, I want to I say something about this real quick, all right, because I got to thinking about this. When, when we started planning this, this series, the, the Minor Prophets, I, I did not have attacking America and, and, and talking negatively about pursuit of the American dream. That was nowhere on our radar. It was, we're going to approach these prophets and we're going to approach God's word. And how does it apply to our people today? How does it apply to to our community today? And, And I just can't help but think over and over and over again that our country is falling right in line with these people who continue to just walk away from God. Church, we've become the wealthiest of all the nations from top to bottom. We have, in recent decades, had a national pride of we cannot be touched by other countries. We've got a bigger military, we've got a bigger defense budget, we've got the greatest technology, we've got the greatest scientists, we've got... We, 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 we is our mentality. And last week, Amos said to the people, peace and prosperity has led to your complacency. And I think the very fundamental truths that our country was founded upon have become outdated principles in the eyes of our nation and the generations that are being raised up right now. The values that we once had. God first. Is no longer these very fundamental truths and values are hard to find in society we know that we now live in a post-christian society where pride is celebrated and not just this month pride is what is on the throne instead of Christ you live for yourself. You do what feels good. That is what is on the throne in our country. And not Christ. Solomon warns us in Proverbs 16 pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It is very possible that we are reaping what we have sown as a country. And it should be of no surprise what is taking place right now. There's absolutely nothing that should shock us when we turn on the news and we watch things and we see things that we might disagree with. Nothing should shock us because of the fact that we have erased the principles and the values that our country was built upon. And we have put pride, living for me, being presumptuous my overconfidence on the throne instead if you read your Bibles all the stuff that make us feel uncomfortable on the news all the stuff that we see unfolding before our eyes it's already happened it's already happened to other God fearing nations at one point in time and they all collapsed now, all I'm saying to this morning is that there are some similarities between our current day to day events and the nation of Edom. Okay, please, please hear me. I, I am not saying that God has written us off, and I'm not saying that He is banishing us to, to, to exile uh, un, under, under the rule of China or Russia or whoever. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying to you is that when you look around and when you turn on the news and the things that, that you see make you feel uncomfortable, there's a lot of similarities in our life to what was taking place with Edom. When the nation is following in the footsteps of previous God-fearing nations who lost their way, we should take note we should be self-aware and we should learn from those who made such mistakes but we become complacent it won't happen to us it's not going to take place in my lifetime i can't believe that's going on but so what's the role what's the role of the church I mean, mean, if this thing is happening on on a national level, what is the role of the church? Well, Edom's downfall was pride. Their overconfidence in themselves. And, And so this tells me that the role of the church is this. We must model humility to the world, regardless of the circumstances. This is not about the restoration of America, the beautiful America, the great. This is not about the restoration of of having pride in our country. This is about restoring Christ to the throne. That's what this is about. And so we must model humility to the rest of the world, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the things that make us feel uncomfortable. And modeling humility begins with this, Romans 12. Paul writes to, oh who? A very proud nation, by the way. He wrote to a nation who was on, on top of the throne. And they, they literally wanted Caesar. And, and, and they wanted their emperor to be on the throne. And that was who was worthy of worship. And what does Paul say to a nation who we look a lot like? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. That's how we're to start modeling humility. I want you to think about something right now. I want you in your life to think about the most morally corrupt person you know or you know of in your opinion. It could be somebody on the news, it could be somebody in the past, it just whatever, doesn't matter. Think of the most morally corrupt person you know and understand that God has a deep and abiding concern for that person just as he does for you and I. Paul's message to the church is we must not think more of ourselves than we should but think of myself with sober judgment that's, that's no matter what's going on in the world and trust me the Romans knew what was going on and they could relate to what we're experiencing right now in a major way think of yourself with sober judgment sober judgment means that we see ourselves From God's perspective and the world from His vantage point as well. Christ first, others second, me third. That's thinking of myself with sober judgment. It's God's way for us to think. And so the church must value all people and see them as Jesus sees them and then act accordingly. And let me tell you, it's one thing for me to sit over here and see somebody over there and say, you know what? Jesus loves those people. I should love them too. It's another thing for me then to act accordingly and to treat them the same way that Jesus would treat them. Church, I want you to know the most prideful thing. That you can do right now the most prideful thing you can do is to walk out of this room thinking I sure hope so-and-so heard this message or thinking man I'm glad I don't this doesn't apply to me that I'm, I'm already there I'm good <clears throat> that is the most prideful thing you can do today to walk out of here and think that God's word on pride does not apply to you. Because what our world needs right now, more than anything, is Christ. It's what our world needs. And it doesn't need Christ in the form of me just sitting back and saying, some of y'all go be Christ to other people. What the world needs is a proper representation of Christ in our lives, and you are the image bearers of Christ. When people see you at work, when people see you in traffic, when people see you at, at, at the crowded lunches today—sorry, Dad, you like to fit the bill, you know it. When when people see you there today, are they going to see Jesus? Are they going to see Christ? Because that's what the world needs the most right now. In Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11 say this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Something in this text that I want you to pay close attention to. Through humility, we must become obedient to something. I want you to read this. I want you to read it in verse 8. We know that Jesus set the standard on what humility is. Even God's Son, the Sovereign Lord of the Universe, sent His Son to die on earth, He humbled Himself and became obedient to something. Something that was not in His nature. He became obedient to death. And the key phrase in this text here is... He became obedient. He humbled himself by, how did he do it? Becoming obedient. Obedient to death. That's how he became humble. That's how he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to something else. Are you tracking here? Unless the Lord returns, okay, you know, beforehand, unless he comes back soon, death is a guaranteed part of our story. We don't have a choice in the matter. Newsflash, we're all going to die. Okay? Unless the Lord returns or just swoops you up, okay, you're dead. You're going to die. It's part of life. That wasn't part of his life. He's eternal. He is the very nature of God. Death is below him. Not for us. We don't have a choice. We don't get to say that we humbled ourselves and became obedient to death. Death is a a for sure thing in our lives. And so it does not excuse us. It's not an out when it comes to being obedient because we're going to die. But in humility, we too, you and I, in our faith, we too must become obedient. To what though? I mean, like, like, like that's that's part of us becoming humble, is that we, we have to become obedient to something else. Well, that something else this is God's instruction in my life, Jesus says come to me and learn from me all of those of you who are tired you're weary you're worried you've got stresses going on come to me and learn from me that that, that's what we must become obedient to we must become obedient to god's instruction in my life and and here's the thing this this is going to be something different for all of us all right because we're at different places in the journey yeah, hey, hey, look here. God's, God's already told us, man. Hey, go make disciples. So, so there's a, a thing that we all need to be doing. We need to be making disciples. Right? You know what? This week, because he told us also not to worry. This, this week for the disciples, it's about trusting God and not letting the, the location of, of Stella's passport consume our thoughts. Because what good is it? Jesus said, Don't worry about tomorrow. Next week, it's going to be about trusting God as we make our way to Zimbabwe. We get to experience different cultures and their hygiene habits. But we're going to be patient and kind when it's crowded, when it's hot, when we're hungry, when we're thirsty. It's too broad right now to say this is what you must become obedient to. We must become obedient to God's instruction in our lives if we are going to avoid what happened to Edom. So, what about you, church? <clears throat> What's the thing that you need to become obedient to from God's word? You know, there's in my household, there's two primary reasons. there's a lack of obedience okay number one is ignorance just didn't know it was a rule didn't know it was something that 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 you cared about that right so ignorance and and there's that 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 that's a that is a genuine reason that we aren't obedient to something because we don't know we don't have the knowledge all right you know the second primary reason that people aren't obedient Pride. I choose not to. Because my way is better than God's way. My way is better than what you want. It's pride. Pride pride is the second reason that we are not obedient to those above us. So what about you, church? What's the thing right now that you know is written there in red and black letters in these words. What's the thing that, that God is saying you need to, in humility, become obedient to this instruction in your life? He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Father, forgive us of our prideful nature. Forgive us of our overconfidence. Forgive us of complacency. And Father, I, I pray that we can be a people. who humble ourselves by becoming obedient to your word in our lives. So God, I pray that you meet us. I pray that we come before you right now in the spirit of David. Search our hearts, oh God, and point out anything to us that does not honor you. God, will you reveal that to us right now? Thank you for your word.